All right. Welcome to Trapping Inc.'s Scuttlewit Podcast. I'm Rich. I'm Sandy. And we are at the National Trappers Convention in Escanaba, Michigan. This is the 59th year. Can you believe that? Yeah. 59 well, years. This is only the second year that we've attended, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, we have a very special guest here. Uh, now, this guy is a professional salesman, so he's going to be talking fast and slick, guys, but I, I want to tell you something. Listen to him. Yeah, I, I like his system. Never never uh, had uh, heard of the Pipe Dream set before today, and uh, but I sat through your, your presentation, and it makes immense sense for me. You're going to see it happening in northern Alberta real this winter. And he Mark, packed the place. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. This was an exclusive NTA members only presentation, and it was, I think the bleachers were full. More than. really good. I owe those guys money, so they come and make sure that I'm still alive. <laughs> Mark Zagger, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. This, this, you guys were talking about the NTA. I, I've never, I've been to a million conventions in my life, and I've never seen a town roll out the red carpet for trappers like this one has. And in the states, probably a little different than Canada, but you know, there's a lot of places that we wouldn't be nearly this welcome. And I hate to say it that way, but th- this town welcomed trappers. You're driving down the road, and there's restaurants that say it. The radio yep. stations have been promoting this. The, the TV stations. It's really great to be here in the UP and and uh, and have us be welcomed this way. And, and and they can't wait to have us back, which is really cool. Yeah, no I, doubt. You're absolutely correct. I mean, there, there's a lot of places where it's not politically correct to talk about us. We we are tolerated, exactly. but we we're, we're we're not promoted, and that's Precisely. that's really neat. It is. It's great. And uh, it's really an eye-opener for me because, you know, just at the FTA recently and, and some of the other ones I go to, I do seven or eight of these a year and really never say anything like this, so it's great. Okay, so tell us, tell us unknown, us northern Canadian people that, that, that don't know Mark Zager, and tell us how you got started and your background in this. Yeah, so I'm, I'm 53 years old, and, and I was that kid that, like my entire school, you know, I started trapping muskrats in 1975, and... I've never missed a season since, so I guess in this demographic, I'm an old timer. You know, I don't think I don't I don't think I look that way necessarily, but to the other people, I guess I do. But um, it was the fur boom; prices were up. Everybody got into it for the money, and um, I I, th- I think the reason I did it every year since, and because I never really got hung up on that. You know, I sure I wanted to get nine dollars for a muskrat instead of five, but it wasn't the reason I was doing it. I come from a hunting family and a fishing family, but no one in my family ever trapped. So I, I, I started uh, because a lot of the kids in school were doing it, and I, it was intriguing to me. So I'm the one guy out of that whole group that's still doing it. So did you grow up in the state of New York as well? No, I'm an Ohio boy. Um, and, and oddly, my, my, my grandma's side of the family is actually from the UP, from Ontonagon, which isn't far from here. So I used to come here when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I grew up in Ohio, and there was no coyotes in Ohio back then when I was trapping. And then I moved to New York. I, I bounced around. The, I was working for Federal Express um, out of college. And I got into a sales position with, with FedEx, and I got promoted and got sent to Syracuse, New York. And at the time, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me because <laughs> 300 inches of snow a year and, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, really, I met my wife there. I have my career there. I kind of formed uh, this whole uh, Mark Zagger coyote trapping thing around that. So it really all – it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But at the time, I didn't know that, you know. so You are one of the few people that we meet in the lower 49 that understands snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we do, you know, and, and you know, it, it's, it's always relative and someone always has it worse than you, but I live in an area near Lake Ontario that we get a hundred to 300 inches of snow a year. And, and, and what, a lot of what you saw in my demo today came from trapping in those conditions for the last 30 years and, and, and trying to figure out a way to do it. We, we are not allowed to use cables. We're not allowed to use snares in New York. Really? So yeah, I'm a foot trapper only. So 
if I could if I could snare in New York, uh, the numbers would I, I would think would be even better. You know, I would I would I would hold off and and, and trap later in the winter. But um, I have to I have those three that three week window from October 25th to November 19th, give or take, and that's when our deer rifle season starts and everything comes to a stop. Okay. So is that does that mean your season is over or you just don't trap because there's hunters in the field? The latter. Um, right. The season goes all the way to the Fe- February 15th, but it's it's a non-issue. It's a non-point because it's a moot point. It, because um, after Christmas, we probably are in true snow where it's it's there for the year. You right. Know, feet of snow. And, and so that's why my whole program is set. I got to do it in those three weeks. But even in those three weeks, you know, we get all that weather that we've been talking about. You know, my standard joke is halloween every year the poor kids in central new york never get anybody to see their their <laughs> they're wearing down jackets over their you know over their spider-man outfit because yep. it's snowing or raining or both you know and uh, and that's very common october and april are winter months for us they really are and um so a lot of what i came up what i came up with and and the numbers that i've done are even maybe in, in a lot of guys minds even more not, i don't want to use the word remarkable because that's over uh, overstating it but certainly interesting or intriguing because i'm doing it in really bad conditions you know well not only that but i mean you got to understand here that when you're talking about you're actually doing it in, in a period where you might get 100 inches of snow but you're hoping that it melts right <laughs> you know rather than you say later in the season it, it, it the snow comes and stays and it, it becomes too too hard then so you've developed a system that allows you to adapt to that water correct uh, you know it, we I'm sorry, go ahead. How many, how many would you get in that, that three-week system? So my best year in New York had me getting 183 coyotes and 60-some fox, and 90% of those came in that three weeks. And that was by far the best I ever did. All the perfect storms lined up that year. Not literally. The, the weather actually held out, you know, yeah. and, and things were good. I just didn't, you know, the old saying, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get applies to all of us. But... You know, there's a lot of things that are out of my control, you know, and like last year I had one of my worst seasons because we had seven inches of rain the first week and my whole system's set up around trapping in rain. But when I get to a point where I can't remake anything, I can't get new sets in the ground. And more importantly, I no longer have access. My farmers love me to death, but there's a point where I can't just go gr- driving across their fields anymore yeah. and doing what I need to do. So that was an anomaly seven inches in a week. Yeah. I and mean, we, we have weeks like that, but to be, have that be the opening week of season, it, it just, it's like deer season, you know, the opening day, the opening hour, the opening five minutes, you know, you have an exponentially higher chance of shooting a deer than right. a week later. Yep. And for me with coyotes, the more I get on day one, it sets up the whole pattern for the whole week. If I get, if I can get a hundred traps in the ground after day two and keep that going, then my numbers just keep going. If this year, when we had the seven inches of rain, five days into the season, I was checking less traps on day five than I was on day one. And right. that's... We're not going, we're going backwards at that yeah. point. You know, I, tuck, I actually tucked my tail between my legs and went back to work. First time ever. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I was so frustrated. And, um, yeah, I, I've, I've set up this whole system around that, but that's just a little too much. If I, if I'm all about numbers, you know, I, I want, I want to catch more coyotes than less. And, and if I can't get 10, 15, 20 new sets in the ground every day, then the numbers start going the wrong way. You know, I, I need to constantly keep moving on new coyotes. My, my program is not about, catching every coyote on every farm i just want to cream the crop take the dummies and keep going because i'm about numbers so on day one i have another hundred farms to get to so i'm constantly thinking 
if you're a pool player, I'm thinking five shots ahead. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm planning that out, and everything's planned around that and how I'm going to get to that last farm on day 21. Well, every system has its limits, but one of, uh, one of the things you talked about was working with farmers. Mm-hmm. Now, we, have, we might have one landowner that owns half of, a, half of a county, you know what I mean? So it's pretty easy. You go get permission from them, and you might have access to, to thousands upon thousands of acres. I imagine you deal with a lot of different people. Absolutely. You know, I've trapped in Wyoming. In Wyoming, we had one permission that was 500,000 acres. It's mm-hmm. the biggest ranch in Wyoming. Yeah. And then in Kansas, where I trapped too, uh, uh, I haven't in the last year, but I, I did it for the last three or four years, we had 40 permissions. And the biggest one was maybe 18,000 acres, and a lot of the, the ranches are smaller there. But uh, in New York, I have 130-some permissions, and some of the farms are 40 acres, and some are... 3,000, but the 3,000s are rare. You know, those are the really big dairy operations guys that are milking 800, 1,000, 1,200 head of cattle. And uh, But I'd say in my area, average size farms probably 300 acres. 300. So how do you see, you know, from the time you started to now, the, the acceptance of farmers and, and the need for, for trappers? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is the understanding there that you, you fill a vital role? Absolutely. And in and, and that I'm a little unique, I think, compared to a lot of people, but uh, certainly trappers, and that I, I'm totally comfortable talking to these guys. I'm, I, on some of these farms, I'm on the third generation, meaning the, the, the son just got out of Cornell University. Now he's going to start running the farm, but I started with his grandfather. My wife jokes with people that I treat my farmers better than I treat her. But uh, <laughs> having all these permissions and protecting them is important. And, and, and frankly, you know, I, I tell people all the time, and it, it might sound a little arrogant, but the best coyote trapper in America, if they moved to central New York, they'd be out of business. They won't get on my farms. I, I've been entrenched. And, and I'm, you, we joked about it early, uh, earlier. I'm a salesman. I'm a communicator. And I don't take anything to chance. You know, every year at the end of the season, I take one of those barn shots. I put together a letter, a form letter, and I send it out to everyone with a big thank you on it. And it just sets me apart not only from other trappers but other people that hunt or fish or whatever. And it's it's funny. It's humbling. I walk into one of my farmer's kitchens, and there on the refrigerator are all my barn pitchers for the last 20 years. I'm like, oh. one of their, I'm like one of their kids. Wow. They look forward to it. Like, if they don't get it, they'll call me. Did you send your card out this year? I didn't get it, you know? Oh. <laughs> and they, 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 show, they show me off like I'm one of their kids. When you, whenever you trap coyotes, especially in numbers, it, it's always intriguing to people, even if they're not a trapper. If they're a farmer or a hunter, they're just they're intrigued. Like, what? There's 150 well, animal coyotes? Animal behavior, I think, is the big thing that catches a lot of people who live on the land, whether they be a farmer, a trapper, a hunter, whatever. But I think what you said about, um, you know, how much they appreciate you and, and that they have your picture on their refrigerator and whatnot, it kind of goes to that whole idea that trappers are a bridge between nature and and who lives on the land, people who live on the land. And a lot of people don't understand that that's a really vital role that trappers play. So this is really cool that you have already got that and have had it for 20 years. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny, if, I, if I'm being honest, you know, most of the farmers I trap on the land probably haven't really had a problem with a coyote. You know, this isn't free-range cattle country. This isn't free-range sheep. You know, they don't come into the barnyards and eat chickens like a red fox does or a weasel right. or a mink. But because coyotes are new in our area, when I say new, when I moved to central New York back in 1988, you know, the first year I trapped there, I caught more red fox than coyotes. Now it's the complete opposite of that. And same as Ohio. When I trapped in Ohio, no coyotes. And now if you go back to my little hometown, that's all there is is coyotes. So that all being said, I think it's a little bit of the fear of the unknown. 
the farmers and landowners and certainly the deer hunters don't like them just because they think that's what they're supposed to do. You know, I, I don't know that they necessarily they're not have supposed to like them. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 they, and they think something is going to happen. It's the boogeyman at the door. So yeah. let's kill the boogeyman, you know? So I think it's a little bit of that, but, yeah. um, frankly, when my farmers call me for issues, it's, that's what I just said. It's beavers. It's, uh, it's Fox that are getting their chickens in the summer. You know, it's those kind of things, but you know, you know, you're in good when one of my biggest farmers, they've owned like 5,000 acres. And uh, his name's Fred Forbes, and he called me one day, two years ago, and he says, Hey, Mark, uh, my grandson wants to trap muskrats in our pond. Is that okay? <laughs> and I'm like, it's your farm, and it's your grandson, and you're asking me. I'm like, wow, I got this guy. You know. So that's the kind of relationship I have with my farmers. And, it, and it's great, and they're great people. And, and I, think, I think what we have in common, even though they don't trap – you know, like you said earlier, you know, I don't want to say animal users, but we're in that group where we're, we live off the land and, and, and coyotes, even if you're not a trapper, they always have a mystique about them and people yeah. want to know about it. They're intrigued by it. You know, I, I, I've, I've told the story a few times, but you know, it, I only trap for three or four weeks a year. I have a, I have a real job. I'm a suit and tie guy. And, and, uh, I, if I go to a party or I go anywhere, people talk to me about trapping. They, that's yep. how they define me. They, they don't talk about my job. I don't talk about it. And, and. I guess that obsession, if that's the right word, has just played out, and, and I, I, I'm okay with that. If, I'm, if I die tomorrow and I'm defined as a trapper, I'm cool with that, you know? It, it's different. It sticks out, you know? It's, 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 there's a lot of plain vanilla stuff going on out there. What I do is, is unique. As the numbers of us shrink, you know, we, we, we stand out in the crowd. Well, I think part of it is, is people get more understanding of trapping, and, and, you know, the education piece is so, so very important. But as they get more understanding of trapping, they, they begin to understand that whether you're hunting or fishing, there's always a, a distance distance advantage. Even if it's archery, you still have only have to get within 30 yards or or whatever. You still have that advantage with the fish. You can cast the lure. With trapping, you have a conversation with that animal, and you convince him to check out your pipe and put his foot right where you want to put his foot. Right. So you've had a conversation with him, and you've won that conversation. That 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 little debate. So I mean, it's I, I like to talk. Uh, about uh, people who have a specialty, and yours is obviously uh, coyotes, that you can actually talk with that animal. That, that That's your specialty. We have we have folks like that. We've had the pleasure and, and the very privilege of meeting folks that have the, those those specialties, whether it's wolverine or wolves or, or lynx or, or whatever. And, and it, it's always neat to see the, the thought process that goes behind it. You know, I, I joke with people that I've been doing the coyote thing now for 30 years, and, and finally, it's the animal to have, and I'm a very patient man. <laughs> so all those years where I was focused on coyotes, it didn't seem to matter, but it's led into, you know, a pretty good time for whether it's my school or whether it's fur prices or both. You know, it, it's uh, the time is prime right now for, for coyotes for sure, you know. So you say coyotes are actually increasing in the U.S., the, the coyote population is increasing. I would say yes, you know, and, and, I, and that's a broad brush stroke. I know that, but, um, you know, we as as taxpayers in the United States have been funding, you know, coyote control out west for you know almost a hundred years, and there's just as many now as there's ever been. You know, wildlife services, it's a it's a secure job. You know, you you, you kill them this year, and there's just as many next year. There are places in Wyoming wherever there's a lot of sheep where the wildlife services guys really hammer them. There's very few cows. I I, I learned that the hard way. I went to Wyoming to a place that I followed some USDA guys and oh. helicopter guys. <laughs> I'm like, where are all the coyotes? <laughs> I found that the, like the week before we got there, they took a hundred off the ranch we were on. I'm like, well, those are the hundred that were waiting for me. So, But you know what? If they're not back next year, right? Th- that's the right. coyotes are. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. On average, we ship 40,000 coyotes uh, out of Alberta 
to the fur markets every year. It's all tracked by the government, how much goes to the two major fur markets. 40,000 coyotes every year out of Alberta. There's no shortage of coyotes. Right. But can you imagine if the, if the uh, trappers weren't doing it for free? Right, right. I mean, what it costs? It's a huge, huge amount of money. So we just watched a, a demo, your pipe dream, de you call it the pipe dream set, and uh, it's also part of uh, the basis of uh, Coyote U. You do Coyote U? Correct. Do, how, do you, how do you pronounce that? Believe it or not, if I'm talking to you about coyote trapping, I talk about coyotes, but only in, with Coyote U do I say the word coyote. Okay. I think it just sounds better, Coyote U versus Coyote U. So that's the only time I say the word coyote. Okay. If someone says coyote <laughs> to me, I think they're an amateur. <laughs> and I know because I, I it's slang or jargon, but I always say coyote. But yeah, so it's Coyote U. So... So yeah, that, that that the pipe dream set that I came up with is 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 part of it, but it's certainly not the whole thing because I have two and a half days of class. But the pipe dream set that we're alluding to is something that, again, with the weather, the rain, the ice, the snow, it's just something that evolved over 25 years of trapping. And and, and if you guys got a chance to see the demo, but you know, for the guys that can't see what we're talking about, when I cover my trap, it's just covered with with yard grass or or maybe uh, hay from a hay barn or ground up hay. And, and it's a piece of nine inch long electrical conduit pounded into the ground. And it's pounded in the ground like six or seven inches and sticks out two or three. So when I, when I bait or lure my trap, it's like a dirt hole above ground, you know? Right, right. And, and no matter what happens, if we get that seven inches of rain I told you about earlier, it could rain that much on it. And whatever you put in that pipe, it's going to stay in that pipe. And even if it washes down into the dirt, the dirt is going to be full of the smells that you had and the pipe's going to protect it. So it's really, it's not only somewhat impervious to weather. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of rain, but it really is a speed. It, I could put that set in, in two minutes and I never touch it again unless I catch a coyote in it. I, I put enough bait or lure in it on day one because I'm only going to be on that farm for five to 10 days. So whatever I put in, there's plenty. And if we get five inches of rain tonight, as long as, long as it's the trap's still working, I just drive right on by it. And I get down the road and put more traps in. Whereas my buddies with dirt holes are digging the trap out, rebedding it, all those types of things. So this is just something that you, it's like anything. You know, I evolved, you know, through all those years of trapping in New York and just trying to come up with something that works. So the pipe was the last thing I added to that set. I had been bedding my trap the same way with grass and steel screen. And my hammer bedding method, um, I'd been doing that for all my sets. But, uh, when I say all my sets, not dirt holes, but T-bones, um, pieces of bamboo, a, a wooden dowel with wool wrapped on it. So I'd already done the, the weatherproof or weather-resistant bedding method. And the pipe was something I added, you know, maybe 10 years ago and started playing around with it. Because, you know, I'm guilty of being that guy that at one point thought, man, a coyote's going to run for the hills when they smell a piece of plastic pipe out in the middle of a field. I couldn't have been more wrong. Right. And, and I, I think I think people, when, when I wrote that article in Trapper's Post, it was 2013. And uh, I guess at that point I had four or five years of pipe, just using the pipe in that set. I wanted to play with it first to make sure. I, and, and when I wrote the article, I honestly think people thought, well, this can't be real. This has to be a gimmick. This guy just gave it away. And it, you know, in a world where we're at, a, we're at a trapping convention where everything's on DVD or yeah. a book, you know, yep. so why would Mark Zagger just give this thing away? It, it, it must be nothing, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of guys were, were reluctant to try it at right. that point. So that being said, um, I think a lot of, a lot of people have only tried one or two or three or four and they're the guys that say to me, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and as I joke, I throw a flag on that play because I know it works. We all have between me and my friends that use it all the time. It's thousands and thousands of coyotes to its credit. So, 
Well, I found fascinating was your, your bedding system that you've adapted because you get a lot of groundwater in where you are in New York or you get a lot of melt or rain or whatever and that hole fills full of water. Fabulous, fabulous idea because in our early season, we, we probably get a lot of melting very similar to you. So if you have snow, it'll melt and, and then you, you, you everything's froze down. Yeah. You know, uh, later in the winter, we can cover our traps with snow. It doesn't matter because we're not going to worry about it. Yeah, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, you know, if we just had snow and it was 20 degrees outside and we just had dry, fluffy snow, I can work with that. The problem is in October, November, or maybe later in the year, is that whole freeze-thaw. You know, what's very common to happen in, in New York, coming off Lake Ontario, at like maybe at 6 o'clock at night we'll get rain. Maybe And that whole time it's raining, the weather, the temperature's dropping. Right. So everything gets soaked. And then all of a sudden around midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning, the temperature, it stops raining and it, it drops down to 19 degrees. And then all that stuff, that all that moisture now is freezing. And maybe in between there's snow on top or, or rain snow mixes, it's changing. And so you, you, you go to bed at night and your sets are operative. You wake up in the morning, they're out of commission. And it, that kind of weather is where this type of set works. And, and frankly, that's the kind of weather where wax dirt or wherever works. When you have just pure, dry, fluffy snow and it's 5 degrees out, that's great. I, I, in fact, you guys know better than I do. I, I just put my trap on the ground and just let snow cover it, and I don't even put any dirt or grass or anything on it. The snow's going to be plenty. You know? Oh, yeah. But I can make that work. It's the, it's the freeze-thaw thing and the ice that makes it a challenge. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was totally fascinated with, with the, uh, the way you bedded and just the fact that, that uh, it was, you're actually supporting it off of the jaws. And the, that you're not have to try to build up underneath it with with anything to to, to support it. Uh, as you've done it a lot of times to, to come up with that that kind of reasoning. A lot of people are gonna are, are thinking that you know you, that that's not right. You know the one jaw for for instance it can can just flop right, but it's it's supporting those springs and you've got a three three point side there. Uh, I went up there and uh, I guess one of the big things that we should point out people haven't seen it they they, they can. Uh, you can give out your, your website later and, and to, uh, if they want more information, but that you did it in sod, okay? And uh, usually in a hay field, it, it seems like that was that was the kind of situation you're looking for. And the, the fact that that gave you a lot more support on your on your edges of uh, for holding that trap nice and firm. But I, I really liked your reasoning about how once you covered it with screen and you covered it with, with, with the dried grass and that, then it got rained on and everything, and there would be green grass all around, and there was a slightly depressed uh, flat area that didn't have green grass in it and that it was a natural place for them to put their foot. And it, I, I can see it in my, in my head. You know, I, I know how natural that is. Yeah, because, you know, in our hay fields, you know, depending on how long ago they were cut before I, uh, I get in there, when you kneel down on that, you, you you can feel stubble cramming into your knees you know mm -hmm. it, it's firm it, there's depending on what type of hay field it is or what have you so i know coyotes step on all those all the, all the time but you're right right where that my trap bed is with that steel screen it's the one place where all those things aren't sticking up perfectly vertical that give it a and after it really i hate to say it, it looks better after rain that that grass gets wet and it just looks like it's been there all year and it's just and, and it's somewhat of a foot guide you know it's really not a big trap bed when you think about it and nope. the nice thing about i use a jake trap and the nice thing about that trap it's got a pretty big pan on it so if they step on that grass i pretty much have them well we have a a, a friend we know that very very successful footholder and one of his favorite spots he's always looking for and i'm sure when you pick your spots you're always looking for travel corridors for uh, for edges and lines but he loves where a pastor comes together with a cereal crop 
and the coyotes will wander down that pasture. They'll just, you know, because they don't want to walk in that stubble. Exactly right. what you said. And so that becomes a, a corridor just as, as secure as if you had a set of walls there, right? Yeah, you know, something I do, um, if I have, a, if I have a, a wheat stubble field, which I know you guys have those in Alberta, yeah. um, and, I'm, and I'm trapping in one corner of it, if, if the farmer lets me, I'll drive my truck right to it. And just, just knocking down, with even with my little truck tires, just knocking down that stubble, and you make another highway right to your sets. Yeah. I yep. do it on purpose. Instead of driving the edges, I say, can I drive across there? And I'm giving them another, and they walk right down. You've seen it a million times. Yep. They, yeah. I know guys snare those, right, if, the, if it's a little higher grass so, uh, or, or stubble. So, yeah, that, that works out perfectly for me as far as, as being somewhat of a, a guide. And it's, it's hard to explain probably um, on a podcast, but – what we're talking about is I, I dig a trap bed that's probably four or five inches deep, but the trap isn't on the bottom of the bed. That's where it gets unusual to people. Yep. Usually you dig a trap bed and the trap is at the very bottom. I'm trying to prevent those springs from touching any dirt or water or both. So, and the bed is perfectly square. And when I lay that trap on top of it, the springs, the levers won't allow it to go down in because the bed is actually smaller than the jaws. So it sits up on top and I kind of countersink it down in there. And then with my hammer, I go all the way around that trap and I hit that, that malleable sod and it pinches that trap in place. And, uh, I, I, I'm sure I've had coyote step where I didn't do it perfectly and it moved a little bit because guys get worried about rock solid traps, but I can do that at that demo area. It was a pretty good demo area, but underneath, underneath that sod is just dirt. So I couldn't quite do it the way I wanted, but yeah. usually when I walk away, if I push down anywhere, that trap's not moving. Because if you really think about it, like it's like I said at the demo, if the wind's wrong and they come around, they're, they're focused on that pipe. They're not really they're not really looking where they're stepping to some degree. So I I don't want that trap to pop out. Yeah. I, if anything, I don't, I think they'd be more interested in that. They're going to run from it, but I don't yeah. want it to move. So I, I needed to be pinching there pretty good, and, and I could do that set in my sleep, and and it's rock solid. So well, even like you you were working with with a man made situation there. It wasn't sawed or or anything else. It was very solid. Yeah. It, it was it was in there well. Like I mean, I I was really impressed. I, I like I like the thought process that you've went around to to. Uh, you know, create a solution for, for the problems that you trap in. You know, if you want to catch them in numbers up our way or trap at all, it, you, you have to kind of come up with something. We, we all like looking at full traps, but that's just not the reality. You know, it's a, it's a low percentage game. When you foot trap coyotes, you know, I, really good coyote trappers, I know they, they look at about a 15% success ratio. That's 50, that's 100 traps you got to look at to catch 15. And I think that number's generous. Yeah. Um, you know, it, Maybe on a daily basis, but not over the course of a season. I'm more like in the seven, eight, nine percent. That's why a lot of my friends are mink trappers, and they think I'm really arrogant when I say, if I started trapping mink next year, I'd catch 200 my first year. And they're like, they've never caught 200 themselves. And I'm like, I, I understand the work ethic. I certainly understand the low success ratio. I understand the miles, and I understand the number of traps. I yeah. said, when I do it, maybe it won't be the first year, but I'll do it. Because, <laughs> you know, that's that one thing none of us can teach anybody, you know. Everyone wants the secret lure, the secret set. They come to these demos hanging on your every word for those. Those don't exist. The thing that I, the, the silver bullet is the thing that I can't teach you. You either have it or you don't. You either have the drive and work ethic and, and stamina and dedication or you don't have it. And, so, and, and I think a lot of guys that are successful trappers, especially canine trappers, uh, most of the ones I know, I'd, I'd probably say everyone I know is successful in anything they do. They were good athletes. They're great business people. They have successful businesses. Whatever it is, they, they're they a one percenter, you know, so to speak, in everything that they do. And, and this is just another facet of their lives that they they excel at. And and 
I don't want to talk about myself, but that's kind of how I've always been. If I'm if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it the best, and I want to I want to be the best at it, and I'm going to excel at it. And that's just always been the way. And so I think the coyotes just was a journey on a path of that kind of mindset. Well, it's adaptation, right? So you you kind of took the dirt hole set, and then you adapted it to your own specific need, and then you kind of built on it from there. But that's that's part of what people with ingenuity and drive do well it's that old saying though you know that the harder you work the luckier you are yeah yeah and when you when you have the work ethic you know i mean that that's that's the, the 90 percent of right? it yeah. oh you know buddies of mine they'll shoot a big whitetail and, and big whitetails relative for people from alberta i know but they'll shoot a trophy <laughs> whitetail for new york or ohio or wherever and they'll take a thousand pictures of it and, and if they're being honest they never saw that deer in their life and they'll yeah. take a million pictures of it I, I'm very proud that at the end of the year to hang 150 coyotes on a barn and take a picture. There's no luck involved in any of that. Like I said earlier, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of weather, but you know, again, those numbers, 150, probably doesn't sound a lot, like a lot to somebody from Alberta where the, some of these crazy numbers come from. But again, we're not using snares. You know, this is no. all foot. Well, we're not using three snares, weeks. and it's a three-week yeah. season essentially yeah. for you, right? So. Even though that's not mandated three weeks, it's it might as well be. When you're using snares, our, our coyote season is four or five months long, depending yeah. on how late you want to take them. Yeah. But you even know. then, you know, those guys, you know, that get the four or five or 600 coyotes that still work, you know. Oh. Oh. Yeah, there's nothing easy about any of this. I always tell people that, you know, yeah, muskrats are easy to trap in coyotes, but not a 1,000 muskrats or not 500 mink or not 600 Alberta coyotes. Nothing is easy about any no. of this. No. There's, if you're not it's a worker, work. you're not doing this, you know, period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're allowed uh, 22 links on our registered trap line. I run uh, just about 150 pens. I don't know how many blind snares around the pens and, and probably two or 200 or, or better uh, blind snares on, on my trails than that to get that 22 every year. Wow. You know? Yeah. So that it, it's always a low percentage. You, you can't make the animal be there. Right. You can take advantage of when he shows up. Sure. Absolutely. And you got to have something operative when he shows up. Yeah. You know? So tell us about Mark Zagger Coyote U. Yeah. So, you know, we talked earlier, you know, I, I've been, I've been, as I said, I've been trapping since 1975 and I moved to New York in 89. I caught my first coyote in, in 89. I caught 14 the first year I trapped up there and people thought, oh my goodness <laughs> gracious. And I, and I thought it was pretty cool too. Cause I'd never caught any prior to that. You know, I was that guy that, you know, back in the fur boom days that I used to lay in bed and, and fantasize about being a coyote trapper, moving out West and being a Western coyote trapper, Ray Milligan and all those guys just have those big splashy barn pitchers and those catches. And it just looked like cool country. And I just was always, you know, even in Ohio when I was, when I was in high school, I was a red fox trapper. You know, I wasn't a muskrat and mink and raccoon guy. Sure, certainly I caught those, but I, the canines resonated with me early. So I moved to New York in, in, in the late 80s, and that's when I first started catching coyotes and, and, and learning every, making every mistake in the world. I went up there with 1.75s, and they were destroying them. That year I caught 14, I probably should have caught 30 that got out of my traps. I had fox traps. They were ripping out the jaws and what have you. So... It just became that that obsession. I was already a trapper, but now I have coyotes, and I have them in numbers where I can do some things here. So, you know, my biggest limiting factor, like all of us, is time. You know, when I when I was only trapping for two weeks, my numbers were sixty to one year. I did get ninety in two weeks, and I, I was looking for that coveted hundred coyote, you know, season, and it was certainly unheard of. But uh, I knew if I get ninety, I get hundred. And therefore, it wasn't a coincidence that the very first year that I got three weeks vacation, I caught 127. It's, it, you know, time, forget population and number of traps, all that stuff. You know, if you trap a week, you're probably going to catch less than if you trap in three weeks, right? It's pretty basic. Yes. So, yeah. so 
that's what I'm always driving for is more time. But so during that time frame, you know, from the late 80s to, to let's go back even 10 years ago, you know, I was still that guy getting 75, 80, 90 cots, which was, was a good number. And then once I busted that 100, um, I think what stuck out for guys, you know, what they liked about me, and that's when I was doing demos, was I, I didn't have anything for sale. There was no agenda with me. I don't sell bait and lure. I, I didn't sell books or DVDs. What I was telling you is what I was telling you, and you believe it or not, you know, and a lot of guys, frankly, they won't even come to a convention unless they can do a demo because they know how that translates into sales, you know? Yeah. You know, right now, there's 100 people in my booth, but I'm hitting here talking to you guys. <laughs> but uh, I'm joking. But that, that being said, um, yeah, I, I think people thought, thought, well, what? This guy's got no angle. You know, he's he's telling us honest information. So I built my name for lack of a better word over all those years and the numbers kept getting higher and bigger and 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 the pipe dream giving that away for free was probably the best thing i ever did because it 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 put my name out there more and it just led itself to good timing on coyote number uh, prices and such so uh mark june had asked me to be an instructor at his school but i had already i already had coyote U in the works and uh he said that's cool man we'll we'll do both so i went down i was instructor for him and i'd done uh, i was an instructor at a new york elite trappers class that we had and what i what i saw immediately is you know a lot of guys are good trappers but not everybody can articulate in a confident manner and, and make it maybe somewhat entertaining and, and enjoyable. And, and I was, for lack of a better I mean, way of looking at it, I was kind of sticking out right. in, in this demographic of trappers. You know, there's some really good trappers up there that they're up there for the, after the first 10 minutes of doing a demo, they're, they're pretty much done. And it, you know, cause they just make their set real quick and they don't want to, they're not comfortable in that setting. I understand that. I to, I'm totally comfortable in that. So it just, it just kept lending itself to me doing my own thing. So, a lot of the, you know, even me, when I took lessons, I had to go to Craig O'Gorman out in Montana. You know, all the big coyote guys were out west. And I, re- and I recognized that there's a little niche here in the northeast and, and east where I live uh, of, and maybe the north of bad weather. And, you know, I tell people, please, I beg you, just take lessons from whoever you want. Just spend the money. And if you can afford it, go to everybody you can. But if you trap in Michigan or New York or PA and you can only afford one, then maybe it might make sense to come to a guy that traps in the same conditions you do. Cause I, I joked with those guys down in, in Texas, you know, I'm kneeling on the ground, digging in red dust yeah. With, yeah. A, with a, with a yucca bush. I don't even know what a yucca bush is, but I, dig, I have a yucca bush or a cactus as my backing and there's wild hog tracks in the dirt. And I'm like, where am I? But I'm, but I'm saying to these students, picture this being a snow covered hayfield in Michigan. You know, yeah. it takes a really creative guy to be able to juxtapose that in their head, you know? So, when I'm doing it up in New York, I'm showing you, I'm showing guys stuff that they're probably dealing with daily. And, and I think because of that, Coyote U, which I'm in my third year of, continues to be booked up solid. I only do two or three classes a year, and I'm only doing 12 guys at a time. So it's not like there's hundreds and hundreds of guys, but there's five or six or seven of these schools down in the States here now. And uh, frankly, this is a small group of people to, you know, to get, and not everybody's going to spend that money and, and if they've already gone to some of these other schools, maybe I think the pool's just going to keep shrinking. Someday this thing's going to go away. I, you know, I think the time is good now, but I, I did three classes a year. This year I'm doing two. You know, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if it just keeps whittling down. You know, it's just, it's a it's a defined group of people that want to do it or, frankly, are going to spend that money to do it. And yet know? maybe not because I think education is starting to really catch on with a lot of trappers. And they, if they want to be successful and they want to be somebody that catches 100 coyotes and 
maybe it is time to pay attention to what somebody else has done. I know one thing that has happened in Canada especially is that it has become law that you had to have training to get a to get a license. A license oh, yeah. I wish we had that. <laughs> uh, and yeah. that certainly has, has relaunched a whole bunch of different schools. And that's First off, the schools are, of course, training so you can get your certified province, provincial license or whatever. But then there's also, there's snaring courses, there's, there's uh, footholding courses and all that stuff that it's expanded into. But by certifying, it was one of the ways that we kind of took the ball out of the auntie's hands. Right. Because now these people at least had some training. Right. And we didn't have those wrecks that can happen, right? Right. Or we're, we're working hard not to have those wrecks. So you never know what's going to happen. And like you, I think you said earlier, you, you, never, you don't say never or always. <laughs> That's right. And I don't. And, but no, I, I, you know, when I was at a recent convention, a, a gentleman walked up to me. He was 65 years old. He just retired. He's, he was all gung-ho. He'd never trapped coyotes. And uh, he had a million questions for me. And I said, and I try not to do the hard sell, but I, I explained, you know, what I just said to you. Go somewhere, but if you want to come. And he's like, oh, man, it's hard to justify. And I said to him, I said, you're 65 years old. Yes. How many years do you think you have to do this? You, you, you want to start from scratch and, and, and spend the next five, six, seven, eight years scratching your head? Or do you want to spend a couple bucks and, and hit the ground running on day one? You know, because there's a finite time that a guy yeah. that's 65 has to do this. Even me, you know, I'm 53 years old and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know how much longer I'm going to work, but I have things that I want to do. And, and I don't know that as a 68-year-old guy, I'm going to be able to do it. So I have, I have a time limit on what I think I want to do or can do. So I'm trying to gear it towards that and maybe hopefully retire at a time when I can physically do this. You know, I think we all think we're going to live forever. <laughs> well, that's true. It's, wor- that's it, true. It, it's working for me so far. <laughs> I think I'm young and I'm 21 years old and I walk into the restroom, I see myself in the mirror. I'm like, who is that guy? I, uh, I got yeah, old right in front of my own eyes. You know? There's a meme on Facebook that says I ran into somebody who looks so old and then I realized I went to school with them. It was like, ooh. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, every, every morning I get up and I shave the old guy off the, uh, out of the mirror there. <laughs> exactly. Get, rid of him, get him off my face. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I would like you to uh, give us your... Uh, your website where people can go get more information on, on you and Coyote U and, uh, and then get you back to your, your booth there so all those people can get a chance to talk to you. No, I appreciate that. So I do have a website and those those the Pipe Dream set, the articles that I wrote, both of those are actually on my website and they're very detailed so a guy can get that because those issues of Trapper's Post are sold out. So if someone actually wants to read those articles, they're on that website. And then Perfect. I have a video that we put together, um, it's kind of a little advertisement for Pipe Set and, and for Coyote U that's going to be on there probably this week. But the the website is very simple. It's www.coyoteu.com, so C-O-Y-O-T-E-U.com. And then my, my email address is at that same, so it's mark at Coyote U. So if someone wants to email me, they can do the same thing. Perfect. Um, and, you know, I've to date, I think I've only had one guy from Canada. Uh, he was from Ontario, um, but I know you guys reach further than just Canada. But uh, most of the guys that I get, you know, are Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Ontario, and, and what have you. But I did have a gentleman that was inquiring from Alberta at one point, so it's a long ways to go. But uh, I was flattered, nonetheless. But um, no, I appreciate the time and, and, and the interest, and it's it's always good talking to people that have the same interests as I do. So We sure appreciate you taking the time. We'd uh, like to remind everybody that they can find our information at trappinginc.com. Uh, we are a uh, video direct supplier for Amazon. So if, uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch all of our seasons there. Or you can find us on YouTube, trappinginc2015.com. Thank you very much. Thank you.